the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Larry Weedykind. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier, and my featured guest, His Lordship, (laughs) my husband, Donnie. Well, hello. My sidekick, my better half. I'm happy to grace you with my presence today. (laughs) All the feminists listen really hate you, I bet. (laughs) Oh, they love me. They love me. I'll open a door for them because they're not able to. Uh, Donnie. So my husband's very chivalrous. Is that the right use of the word? I think so. It's not uh, dead. It's not. Uh, you do open doors for me and uh, and you take out the trash and uh, we're just really great life partners. So I hope everybody's kind of getting used to our banter and our <laughs> the way that we joke with each other because we really have a fantastic uh, relationship. And I'm excited for this topic today. Today's topic for this episode is phone a friend. Yeah, we weren't sure what we were going to talk about, but you came up with this, and I think it's actually a great idea, especially this time of the year. This time of the year. So let me explain kind of what the topic is. Um, You remember, Donnie, on the old show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Mm -hmm. And so when they would ask people questions, and you would have three or four different kind of like lifelines Mm -hmm. to try to like not get kicked out of the game. Right. But one of the most used or important lifelines was the phone a friend. My favorite was when they would do it, and they would call the person. They didn't expect the call. They were dumbfounded, and they had no idea. (laughs) No idea. My favorite was when he actually knew the correct answer for like the million, but he was just calling a friend to let him know that he's fixing to win a million. He didn't need the question answered. But it's a lifeline. It's symbolic of a tool that we should use in life. Uh, When I'm uncertain, when I don't know which road to take, when I'm confused about a decision I need to make, I may need to consult God or others uh, to help guide me and guide my path. And one of the, I I believe, hardest tools to utilize properly, because I think some Mm -hmm. people utilize it too much. Yeah. And others don't use it at all. Some people will choose to try to rely more heavily on human help rather Mm -hmm. than God's help. I've seen that a lot. I've I've done that. And I think that the reason God kind of put it on my heart for this to be what we were talking about today. um, Do you have a story about it? I do have a story about it. I felt a story coming. Story's coming. Um, So you and I, we had an important morning this morning. we did. Um, We took my son to the airport. We flew him to the Dominican Republic uh, (laughs) where we're... We sent him into slave labor. <laughs> no. So my son's 15, and I was not in my kids' lives for seven years due to my addiction. And Wait, you had an addiction? I did. I'm a recovered heroin I addict. Feel like, I feel like you should have told me that. <laughs> you knew when you married me. Oh, so. okay. Um, and that was a very painful road. Four and a half of those years, I was not sober. And then the latter half, it was me trying to get stable and get back in their lives in a permanent way. Um, and for the last year and a half, you and I have been navigating that road of repairing my relationships mm-hmm. with my children and driving there a lot to Oklahoma is where I'm from and it's where they were living. And You just ruined the show. I did not. Nobody's ever going to listen again knowing no, you're from Oklahoma. I bet people in Oklahoma listen to iHeartRadio too. So there Just you not go. this show. They listen to shows <laughs> with banjos and cows in the not background. Not true. Not true. So 
My sister's in Oklahoma. She listens and shares this, and my aunt. I rest my case. Anyways, my point is, is that in August of this year, we got custody of my son, mm-hmm. and uh, my daughter is eighteen, almost nineteen. So she still lives in Oklahoma. She goes to college, but she do what she want to do. She's doing her her young adult life thing. But um, I was surprised that my son was going to want to live with us, and I was very excited. Well, yeah, because you went about that literally just because the <clears throat> the wonderful ex-husband would not let you speak with your children. And I kind of agree, yeah. Yeah, he was kind of in a right space at one point, but then when it was obvious your life had changed and he still was withholding that, we had to He didn't know or believe action. I was any different, right? Yeah. He was trying to protect them from me, which... But what I was getting to is that you started that journey just wanting a relationship with your kids. Right. That's it. And so my son moved here and it's been a lot of change, our lifestyle and and the accountability and the academic expectations, all of that. And and a relationship with me at all. He he was seven when I left and he's 15 now. So he didn't really remember me from when he was a kid. And it's a lot of change at once. And so we had a a mediation, a court hearing uh, this last week. And we all kind of, after a lot of prayer and, and talking to attorneys and talking talking to therapists and his counselor. We had to do what was best for him and not for us. I let him decide that he wanted what he wanted, and he wanted to move back to Oklahoma. And so um, it was hard making that decision because uh, for the last few weeks, I was trying to fight for what I wanted in the situation. Mm-hmm. And I was really like burning up all of my energy in this chaos or this mindset of what I think is right. And I was really falling outside of God's will. And after I was able to like take a step back and really consult with God and consult with the right people and and let God speak to my heart, I realized that I didn't want to, quote, win the court hearing and pay the price of a relationship with my son. I didn't want to make him stay if he didn't want to stay. He would have hated you. Yeah. And and so because there's. There's a girl in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. And He's you can't 15. beat that. It's easier there. And there's a girl there. There's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of 15-year-old reasons. Yeah. And so this is his decision he gets to make. And I just want him to show, I want to show him that I'm supportive and loving and considerate. So we took our my son to the airport this morning and he flew back. We'll get to see him for the day after Christmas for our family's Christmas in Oklahoma. But I didn't know what to do the radio show about. And mm. so we go home. And I, um, I'm opening up one of my journals, and, and it's called Phone a Friend. Mm. It's the title today, which it's the title of this show. And I'm starting to pray and ask God to show me what to talk about today. And right then, my phone rings. Did somebody phone a friend? Someone phoned a friend. What? And this girl reached out to me. Um, we're colleagues in the treatment industry, and she was talking about the importance of... Uh, when you say the treatment industry, what do you mean? Uh, drug and alcohol or substance abuse, uh, detox, rehab, IOP, PHP, sober living. So you living. work... You work at Matthew's Hope, which is a detox where people go for seven to 14 days, whatever it is, to get medically relieved of drugs and alcohol. And then that friend was in a different part of the industry, but same industry. Same industry. And so we had a great conversation around uh, helping others and and picking up the phone and and saying what needs to be said sometimes. And I really appreciated her call. And she was like, I'm sorry if I interrupted you or your day. And I said, it's no, this is God, Uh, because I was just trying to figure out what to do the radio show about. And uh, and based on our conversation is where we get this topic, phone a friend. And that's what we're going to talk about as soon as we come back from this quick break. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier, my featured guest, my husband, Donnie, my sidekick. Probably the better half of this marriage <laughs> is sitting across from me. That's true, because uh, that's me. Uh. So the topic's phone a friend, and I was telling our listeners and you um, that this friend, this colleague in the industry reached out to me, and she was basically... Um, thanking me for some things that we have shared and talked about on this previous episodes of this radio show. Did she know that she was doing God's work today and giving you a topic? <laughs> she didn't, but I told her at the end of the conversation how cool it was because it completely matched what my uh, journal was talking about with this phone a friend, and that's when she called me. I was like, this is God. You have no idea. So here's the deal. Let me ask you a question, Donnie. Mm. Um, how easy is it for you to call someone when you have good news, exciting news to tell someone? Oh, I want to call everybody. I literally will go through a list of texts. I'll text the first person, and then I'll just copy-paste it to 15 and send people. send everybody. Yeah, I want everybody to know when it's good. Like, back when I had social media years and years ago, mm-hmm. like, that's, that's your favorite thing to do, right? I, I want to put out that highlight reel of my day. Right. So let me flip this. How easy it is, is it for you to call someone when you have bad news, when you've made a mistake? Oh, I don't want to call anybody. Right. I don't. I don't want to. I, why is that? I don't want to call anybody. I don't want them to know what's going on. Because I think sometimes for me, I don't want to appear vulnerable. Sometimes number one. Sometimes, I think we want to appear like we have it all together. We have it figured out. We don't have problems. You know. Mm-hmm. But I think that our natural human tendency is to hide our weaknesses or our failures. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. So. In the last, I don't know what, six months or so, um, I've started hanging out with this this new group of men in the fellowship, and we smoke cigars together. and And I've literally, I'm coming up on nine years of sobriety, and I've literally just begun opening up to people when things aren't going my way. And it feels, I don't know, it feels wrong. It feels like I'm whining. Yeah. Right? It feels like I'm negative or I'm not in solution or I'm not. I don't know. It's What do you think that is? I, I don't know, but I experienced the same thing because last night when you were outside smoking cigars with your friends, mm-hmm. um, I was inside and I realized I haven't called my sponsor in a few weeks to give her this update around all this stuff with our son, my son, right? And I was like, maybe I, sh- maybe I should call my sponsor and let her know what's going on. And then there's that little thing in the back of your mind that's like, oh, she really doesn't care. Or, or, I don't want to bother her. I don't want to bother him. I don't want to bug her. I don't, I don't need anything. I don't want to be the center of the conversation. Right. And so then you have the flip side, the reverse personality that does want to be at the center of every conversation and calls everybody with every problem or every fear or every woe, right? Right. So we're trying to like paint this picture of this wide spectrum, all not aligned with God's will for me. So I, I called my sponsor and I kind of gave her the update on how everything's going and we talked it out. And you just, I felt this sense of relief or this weight off my shoulders that um, that I was bringing light to any darkness, uh, What was like the, the hamster wheel in my head. Mm. This, this hamster wheel in my head of all these thoughts or desires or things that I want or things that I'm fighting for. Right? What I've learned through this program, through the fellowship, through these tools, these spiritual disciplines, is that the more that I reach out to women that I spiritually respect and kind of bring light to that dark... See, now that's a tough one, right? Me kind of laying open open my issues for people that I look up to. Yeah. Because I want to be on their level. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I did that. I I, I called her, and I kind of laid it all out, and I told her how... 
chaotic or crazy that I had been in a few the last few weeks. Did you guys up to stop this. for a moment and pray for me? We, you didn't come up really at all. I thought it was every conversation with your sponsor. <laughs> no, but I think that that's where like the phrase in the program you'll hear like your secrets keep you sick or you know something like that. I think that. Well, I was told that mushrooms grow in the dark. But yeah. die in the light. Don't let your problems or your secrets become a mushroom. Yeah, and the other the other thing is uh, a heart that uh, is well is a heart that tells. Mm. And, and so, like you got to really like bear yourself open and open your heart and open your mind uh, to honesty to lay all the cards on the table. But here's the problem I have. So here is the sort of the dilemma that goes on in my mind. Okay, so you and I have been sober for a minute, right? Yeah. And we're in the fellowship and we, we do our meetings in our fellowship and, and you have the new people that come in and the new people can talk about nothing but themselves. Yeah. But you and I are recovered, right? We're supposed to be living <laughs> this higher spiritual life. Yeah. And so I always walk that line of, am I talking too much about me? Yeah. I think that one, I think that you do talk way too much about you all the time. I think that's something that we've all learned uh, in dealing with you for the last I four think years. That sounds like a... <laughs> That's a biased statement. No, um, I get what you're saying, and I think that here's the way that— Because you almost hit me in the car today after the airport when I brought that up. Because <laughs> the flip side is true for me. Help me. Shut up. The flip side's true for me. I will hold it all in and not bring anything to light and just let it stew in my mind and in my heart alone. Yeah, and, oh, I know. <laughs> And, and then I'll be like, hey, honey, how was your day? And you're like, why don't you mind your own business? But I think that something my sponsor told me a few years ago um, is really applicable to me all the time. And she said, don't become so recovered that you can't ever ask for help. There it is. And There and, it is. And so what I've tried to practice in the last couple of years is I try to be um, as raw or as open uh, as um, appropriate, appropriate, you know. Last couple of years? <laughs> yeah, I've tried. I've tried. Because here's the thing. True? Whether it's girls that I sponsor or girls that just hang out with me or in the fellowship with me, I've had a lot of feedback of, thank you for sharing that issue with me. I didn't know you were going through that. I went through something similar. Thank you for being so raw and honest about what you're going through. I'm learning from that. You and I have a bad habit. Here's our bad habit. Mm -hmm. Somebody will call to share something impactful to them. Yeah. Right. So they'll call me and be like, hey, so my dog was eaten like a, by an alien. And then I was like, my dog was eaten by an alien. Right. And I will hijack that conversation yes. with my story. Yes. Like you just did right now. <laughs> um, there's your proof, folks. There is your proof. Do you have a story you want to tell us? No, not no. at all, because you're just going to hijack it. I know where you're going. <laughs> no, but I, I want I know we're trying to be funny and lighthearted with this topic and bring some jokes into it. But at the same time, I want to bring the seriousness of the gravity of isolating in your mind. You always say your mind alone. It's like a bad neighborhood. You should not be there alone Absolutely. by yourself. Yeah. You know, it's like the third ward at 3 a.m. You should not <laughs> go there that, alone. That could upset people that live in, a th <laughs> live in the third ward. I don't know. I've heard you say that joke, so I thought it was funny. I'm, I'm new here. I don't even know. I would know. never say that on the radio. He, he did. All right. So, but my point is, is there is a Bible verse that I want us to tie this topic into, and it's Ecclesiastes uh, chapter four, verse nine through 10. And it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. If he falls, he has not another to lift him up. 
And so as I've navigated this of like getting back in my kid's life and then letting my son move back or any, any you know, low spot that we go through in life, because life is still life, I, I really in value and appreciate God helping me be open with people to talk about it. That, and that's where the, the fellowship, both our church fellowship or the 12-step 12 12 fellowship. fellowship is so important. Yeah. Because um, I have two, I have a lot of people, more than two, to go through this with, mm-hmm. and to stand shoulder to shoulder. Because yeah, you're you're my life partner. I go through everything. You're the first person I call with good news or bad news. But in addition to that, I get feedback from other people that are also seeking a godly lifestyle, and they're able to to guide and direct me, um, so that I don't to get stuck in the bad neighborhood by myself in my own head. Which is where you stayed when I met you. Yeah. Yeah. You've not been a queen of communications. But I don't know. I, I always just, I worry about that line, you know, because I see others in the fellowship as well that only call. Yeah. Right? So there's also tools that we have, whether you want to talk about biblical spiritual tools or you want to talk about 12-step fellowship or, or 12-step spiritual tools. Yeah. There's also some things that we need to do. And that was when... Um, today, when I was almost physically abused in the car, <laughs> he's lying. This has not happened. I probably it was probably not a good time to bring it up, but we were leaving the airport, and I was like, "Cool, so we're okay." No, you said this is done. Let's not talk about it anymore. No, I said, <laughs> I said because we have faith and rely on God, we're yeah. going to be okay. But let's stop talking about because we have just dominated conversations with this topic. Right, right. You know? I think that it's about finding the balance. Exactly. Balance. So let's take a quick break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Heather Mosier. My husband, Donnie Mosier, is in the studio with me today. Welcome, Donnie. Hello. 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 Um, So I am partnered with Matthew's Hope Detox and Recovery Program. I just want to give our listeners some information. Um, What is it that you do? What what do I do? Well, I do this radio show with you, uh, begrudgingly, but also (laughs) um, what I really do is layman's terms i help drug addicts and alcoholics find and maintain sobriety but i'm technically the spiritual wellness director and recovery support team lead at matthew's hope detox and recovery program we are inside saint joseph's hospital downtown off saint joseph's parkway and we are a 10 to 14 day detox with a two-year recovery aftercare program that is free for anyone who completes our detox really Yep. That's not normal, right? Because you is... went through a few detoxes when you were trying to come off <laughs> yep. of it. They take you for five to seven days. They pat you on your butt and send you out, and you get basically recommendations, and that's it. So what do you do in that two-year period? What are you doing for these people that are coming out of detox? As Whatever your, they what, will allow what you me say to you were do. Spiritual goddess? No, that's not what I said. I'm, technically, I'm a state-certified recovery coach. Okay. And so our team is uh, certified recovery support specialists. That mm-hmm. means we have lived experience navigating our own recovery and working a spiritual 
spiritual program. And so we show them uh, whatever they're willing to do. We don't make anybody. It's all voluntary, of course. But once they successfully discharge from our detox, they get recovery coaches and they get to call us as much as they want to reach out. They what get, other things do you do? Do you direct them? Do uh, you? Yeah, we help them find great 12-step meetings in their area or uh-huh. other fellowships or whatever it is that's appropriate for them that they're open to. We actually match them up with a couple different sponsor recommendations while they're in detox to call and make that that connection early on because we want them to begin the 12 steps as soon as they get out with their sponsor. Okay. Um, if something goes south and that relationship doesn't pan out at any point, uh, they call us and we hook them up with someone else. We know a lot of people in the community, not just in Texas, but pretty much everywhere where we can find a good 12-step-based sponsor for somebody. You and I have a good network. We so really is there a network. phone number they should call if they're there in trouble? Is. What? So, <laughs> so if you're interested in any information about our detox and recovery program, our phone number is 844-263-4673. That's 844-AND-HOPE. And hope. And hope. We want to bring hope to people. So so you have a guy who comes through, or gal. Or gal. You guys, or Co-ed. they, them oh. and they, whoever it is. Co-ed. Uh, come through your program, and you you get them medically detoxed, and you you help them. You get them out there. You get them with a sponsor. You help them find meetings in their area. Well, I want to say, you know, basically we we have a huge clinical program too. So I don't want to discount that. We have amazing clinicians yeah. that do all of the process. Oh no, I was doing that. that. No, I was doing that radio thing. I was leading in. Yeah. So you you get them out into the twelve step world. Uh-huh. We plug them in. Right, where they're told things like 90 and 90 and mm-hmm. whatever. Okay, yeah, but that's treatment center stuff. But now they're going to pick up these 12-step tools. Right, but what, the reason you were leading that in is because I think what you're going to touch on is sometimes people in early recovery or people leaving treatment, they'll be given advice, and that advice is usually like, here's your... No, that's not where I was going. Well, I wanna, I'm just kidding. <sighs> you know? It's like they'll tell them, hey, you need to call five people in recovery every day. Or if you want a drink, if you don't, you better call someone in recovery. Pick up that phone. It's a thousand pounds. It's a thousand pounds, which this is not, quote, horrible advice for somebody no, new at because all. Because we do isolate. You when do. We're, when we're in the end of our drug and alcohol addiction and You think and nobody sickness, understands. Oh, yeah. We don't want to Nobody cares anybody. about me. I don't want to bother them. So that part is cool. And I. It's I, amazing that we're at the bottom. We're literally at the bottom, but we think we're on the top. Right. And so our pride won't let us call people pride and tell them what's going on. Right. And so I encourage people when, when they leave our detox, I'm like, how are you doing? And most people are like, oh, I'm doing great, this and that, you know. And I like them to update me on what, you know, actions they've taken since they got out. But I also want to create a space where they're okay to call me with, with trouble comes. I want to mm-hmm. create a space where they're like, you know what? I'm really not looking forward to going to my family's for Christmas. I don't know how I'm going to react to being around my mom. She was always a trigger. Whatever it is. What? what? <laughs> you know what I mean. Our listeners know what I mean. Triggers. And so what I help them see is that if you work these steps. And Listen, my friend Andrew just spit out whatever he was drinking when you said the word triggers. <laughs> talking about fellowship and AA. So in a- oh, AA sorry. or it's, the 12-step yeah. world, we... We don't believe in triggers, and I know that that's something that the rest of society doesn't understand. Um, But if you're a chronic drug addict or a chronic alcoholic, there is absolutely nothing external that's going to make you drink. And if you believe that, you're delusional. Right. And so you can drink when things are going good. You can drink when things are going bad. You can drink when the day ends and why. If you're awake, (laughs) you're going to want to get loaded. You're going to want to change the the way you feel. The problem isn't external, but we delusionally think that it is, 
especially when you're newly getting sober. Yes. And so my point when someone calls me with with that sort of worry is, oh, I can't go home to my family or they're going to have alcohol there or whatever. I point out what's in our literature that if you just work some steps and you get around step five to ten, then that obsession gets removed and you're connected spiritually and you can go anywhere and do anything. That's what it means to be recovered. When I say I'm a recovered alcoholic or a recovered heroin addict, that just means I'm connected to God enough today that the insanity hasn't returned where I think I can drink or do drugs like a normal person. And and because of that, I've been through some, some pretty bad stuff in sobriety and I haven't felt the need to take a drink. Right. When before sobriety, anything would have given me the need to take a and drink. And that's what I want to help newcomers see. So I don't think that it's bad to like, okay, if you're newly sober, call five people a day and, and plug in. But don't let, don't fall into the victim of the idea that that's going to somehow safeguard your sobriety long term. That's what I was going to ask you. So how do you feel about these sponsors who are like, call, call me, me every day. <laughs> you knew where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another common weird thing that you might hear sometime is a sponsor might say, hey, call me every day for two weeks because the sponsor is, quote, judging your willingness. Right. I, I was never taught to do that and I do not do that because I think A, it creates a weird obligation where the sponsor feels obligated to call and they don't want to and it creates a bad energy. The sponsor you mean? The sponsee. Yeah. I don't want a sponsee to feel like they I think have it also, to call me. Well, I think it also is misleading. It is misleading. It's misleading that here, I want you to, to call, call me, me every day because you need to rely on me to stay sober. So first of all, that doesn't work. as a sponsor, I know that I can't keep somebody sober. Yeah. And I'm not going to try to judge their willingness by a phone call. It's going to be self-evident in them writing a four-step or not anyways. And so if I understand chronic alcoholism or drug addiction, then I know we're on borrowed time. And i got to hurry up and get this person to step five to ten, somewhere Mm -hmm. around there where they're recovered, quickly. They can't keep themselves sober. I can't keep them sober. I can't even keep myself sober. Right. But I can help them take the actions that get them connected to the power that does keep them sober. And I've got to get them starting to look toward God for that reliance. So, okay, so we kind of have two different things. Going into the fellowship, we have uh, the sponsor who thinks that he needs to keep you sober by making you call him every day. (laughs) Yeah. But then you also have, you hear people say, hey, call somebody in the fellowship every day. Do you think there's value to that? I think there's a lot of value to that because that forces you to get outside yourself and be less self-centered and interact with another person, even if it's just to call and talk to them about how their day was going and not talk about me. Or flip, to be vulnerable and share something I'm struggling with with that person and, and being willing to be raw or vulnerable. So for me, that was not hard at all, right? So when I got sober, I was 41. I wanted to kill myself. I was done. And so when I came in, I just sort of latched onto everything they suggested, not because I am just this great guy at following direction, but because I had no other choice. How did you react at, because I, I have a sense that I know... <laughs> Was it, difficult, was it difficult for you to call people in the beginning? It was. I think that sometimes it still is. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's, it's something that, because I can call people that I think they'll agree with me mm-hmm. or that they'll give me the feed. You know, I can, I can answer shop pretty mm-hmm. well. And I know that that's not God's will for me, but that's, yeah, you know, something that's my human condition. Well, but I guess what I was getting at is that you're very introverted. Uh-huh. And so for you to pick up the phone to call anybody... It's uncomfortable. Right. And now you're calling these weird, sober people. <laughs> right. And I'm like, hey, how are you going? How are you doing? What's your day going like? And yeah. Here's what I'm going through. And Well, I mean, let's be honest. You're like, hey, how's your day? And then you're just waiting for them to finish so you can talk. <sighs> How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> What's the appropriate amount of pause before I start talking about me again? You know? Right. Right. <laughs> They're like, well, my day- well, enough about you. Here's the beauty in it. When you're willing to share your burdens with somebody else, the light, the load gets lighter. 
Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's like a a burden shared is a burden divided. And if I want to divide or lessen the load, the weight around my neck, then I need to be willing to be open and and talk about it with others. And then the flip is you. You're the other side of the pendulum swing is where you need to kind of mute and and not talk so much about it and dominate conversations with others. I'm alone in that. Yeah. I don't do that at all. (laughs) Really? (laughs) You know, people that you know listen to this show. (laughs) That know me? Yeah. Three people just drove off a freeway, and the other ones are <laughs> laughing so hard they may have a coronary. I think I flip back and forth to both, and I think that being like not talking enough and then talking too much. Ladies about and gentlemen, I am making faces at her across this microphone. <laughs> that you, I mean, I wish people. Am could I being see dishonest it. at yeah. all? Why? Yeah, we're both the same. You think that I'm just? We dominate conversations with our stuff. Mm. Yes, a lot, a lot, but. And, but, but that's where you were coming from with your point then this morning of what you said. But the flip yeah, was true what, what, last night. What I realized is I hadn't even called my sponsor to tell her because right. I was fearful of the vulnerability and the judgment. There you go. And so what I think it is, um, and we'll get into it in the next segment, but I think what it is is there is a balance yeah. of I need two or three people in my life that I can call and say, hey, yeah. I'm not in a, I'm not a good spot. Yeah. And then I need some people in my life where I call just to lift them up and say hello. True. Balance. I agree with you for the first time today. So (laughs) don't go anywhere. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We'll be right back after this quick break. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosher, and my featured guest is my better half, Donald mm, Mosher. I like, let's change it. No, we're not changing it. Let's your jump spiritual right in. This, leader. No, no, no. This is the <laughs> this is the last segment, so don't screw it up, Johnny. Uh, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about phoning a friend, and we're talking about both sides of the pendulum, swinging from I'm calling everybody and venting about every problem, and I'm relying on other humans and not God, and versus all the way to the other side where you're isolative, you're not calling anybody, you're dealing with everything yourself. We're trying to find that balance where that pendulum is just barely swinging a little bit side to side. And because we are in a 12-step fellowship, we kind of base a lot of it on that, but this really applies. To anybody. It applies if you're in a church fellowship. It applies if you're just in like a group of friends. Yeah, if you're human, you need to have interactions with other people. I think that as humans, I believe that we are wired to need God and each other. And I went through a lot of years of my life feeling really like, quote, independent, where I didn't, quote, need anybody else. Quote. Quote, end quote, air quote. And it really signed me up for a life of misery. That was back when, what was it your dad said about you? (laughs) Um, oh, I know what he said. What did he say? It was a compliment. So this is before drugs and alcohol. I was sober and it was definitely not a compliment. And oh. I like how you prefaced that because you wanted me to say something negative about myself on the radio. But <laughs> so I was like 28 or so. Now I was sober, wasn't on drugs yet. I was full of Well, myself. you were dry. You were, was, let's be honest. You were dry. Yeah, but our listeners maybe don't know what that is. That means I still have alcoholism but it's untreated and i'm dry i'm a dry drunk or i have untreated alcoholism because you you drank and drugged like a maniac during high school and then, I didn't for then, you, 13 and then years. you just stopped for no reason yeah and so i was like what you call a dry drunk meaning miserable to be around mm-hmm. but not drinking or doing drugs and it looks like mental health disorders but it wasn't mm-hmm. it was alcoholism but so my dad we're at thanksgiving at my sister's many years ago and my dad is talking to my mom and my sister about me 
I'm in the room, but he's talking like I'm not about mm-hmm. me to them. And he goes, you know, Heather's just uh, spiritually bankrupt and, and morally defective. She, <gasps> she's just abrasive, and that's why nobody likes her. Was he right? And he was right. But here's the thing. So my dad called me morally bankrupt, spiritually defective, and abrasive. Mm-hmm. And it hurt my feelings really bad at the time. Mm-hmm. It would be years. I would be 34 when I would finally get sober. Later, I was mm-hmm. sober then, but... 34 when I got sober and I finally wrote inventory on resenting him mm-hmm. <laughs> for saying that comment about me because I always thought he was wrong. What was it, what was the end result? The end result was that he hit the nail on the head and yeah. he was absolutely right. My dad saw my spiritual sickness. He saw the malady within my soul and when I was completely oblivious to it. I and, thought I was a victim. And here's the funny thing. So let's, we'll just do a quick dad story, right? So we're talking <laughs> about the fact that you are not very extrovert. You are, you'll keep it in, right? And I'm sort of the opposite. I am extrovert and I want to just tell everybody my problems. And I was visiting my dad when I was two years sober. I hadn't seen him. I can't imagine that you had any resemblance of self-righteousness at two years sober. Oh, so. I mean, <laughs> I appreciate that sentiment, but it turns out I might've been a little self-righteous at two years sober. Your poor dad, what'd you do? Oh, so I, I, he was talking about different family members and this and that. He was upset with them. My dad, we hold grudges. That's what our family what? does. Yeah, I know it's crazy to think that we might do that. No, you but don't we do. today. I don't today. In fact, today I've let them all go. I don't right. hold any. Um, anyways, I, I was telling him how wrong he was for holding grudges at family and you only get one life and blah, blah, blah. And, and I could tell... Like he was sitting in his chair and he's stewing. Yeah. And he got up and he went to the restroom and he comes back and he's leaning against the wall. And I can tell that he is at this point now livid Yeah. because I am trying to be morally righteous to him. And he says, unlike you, I don't need other people to feel okay about myself. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with me. And, And he was right. Yep. He was right. You are very much the extrovert that thrives off other people's attention and approval. Yep. And this was before me really getting connected to God, really, you know, yeah. and, and he was right. I needed a lot of people around me at all times to feel okay. And so the moral of kind of like why we're trying to explain these two stories is what's so important about phoning a friend or reaching out and being vulnerable is the ability to receive the truth back. Ooh. Right? For a long time, I had no ability to receive the truth back. I thought everybody was wrong about me. Did you at some point change? Because, you know, when we first get in the fellowship, we're told, you call people, you call people, call five a day, call three a day, whatever. You, you, Because really, they want us in. They want yeah. us a part of the fellowship, which means we're making friends with those around us. I think what was great for me, new, the reason it was like crash course in learning how to do that is that I lived in sober living until I was nine months sober. Mm-hmm. I left for a couple months and went back to sober living sober, and I stayed till I was four. 18 months sober and then I moved here to Houston but at 18 months sober Mm -hmm. but I spent a lot of time living with women and and vaping on front porches and doing house meetings and accountability meetings and you have to be around people Uh, you don't get a whole lot of opportunity to isolate um, when you live in sober living in close quarters like that and so I had never lived with women before I thought this is going to be a horrible experience right Um, but it was one of the best experiences of my life was living in sober living with these these wacky women trying to also get sober and stay sober. It taught you how to have a relationship with women because you guys really have a difficult time with that. I think any spiritually sick person getting sober, if it's women, if it's a woman, she's inclined to say, "I just get along better with men." I just communicate better with guys. And, and then 
And then the men, other spiritual said guys too. They're like, I just get along better. With I can girls. just be myself around women. I can just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And which means that person needs to learn how to have the a relationship with their same sex. I mean, I'm really just doing that this year. Yeah. I'm coming up on nine years of sobriety. And so in my eighth year is when I'm really doing this, this men's meeting that I go to on Fridays, it's become the most important meeting of my life. The relationships I'm building with these men, as uncomfortable as it is at times, have become some of the most important relationships. Right. It's it's so weird. that. And I think that women seem to have a harder trouble, a uh, time uh, navigating that sort of thing. But there's like there's a famous proverb that says, "As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another." Mm-hmm. And I think that that applies. Like, I didn't realize it at the time, but living in sober living and and talking to people, calling my sponsor, meeting with her, calling, getting phone numbers at meetings of other people, and and having to call them and see how they're doing, that taught me I was allowing these women to sharpen me. Mm-hmm. So my dad was right, and this program was now sanding my abrasiveness off of me. Yep. And I was becoming smoother and easier to deal with because I'm trying to help others. Yeah, between four and a half years, five years sober, I was going through some really, really profound stuff in my life. And I reworked the steps and I was doing this and that. And um, I read in the, the 12 and 12 literature that it talks about, it's on page 52, and it talks about these partnerships we're unable to have to form, form real, real partnerships. partnerships and what hit me is that i've got probably my best friend in sobriety named matt um will call me from time to time and just say hey man how are you yeah and then he doesn't immediately talk he's just listening for how i am and i realized at that point that i never really did that for others yeah and so what began to change in my phone calls how are you doing? Yeah, I started calling because sometimes that's the best tool. Sometimes when you and I are going through something, when when we have some sort of a calamity or a low spot in our lives, the best thing I can do is Focus call somebody others. and see how they are. Yeah. What's your life look like? How are you doing? Call a new guy. Call anyone, right? There's a beautiful paradox to that because in my old life, I was constantly exhausting myself trying to fix my own problems, meaning I was focused on the problem. Yeah. But if and you're fo- the worst repair guy for that. But if you focus on the solution, which is like altruism, mm-hmm. selflessness, others, right? If I focus on others, God seems to work out my problems and I don't have to worry about them. Right. And right. so I just think that it's really important if our listeners are struggling or having you know a low spot in life or maybe you're just lonely, you should pick up the phone and you should call someone. And, and this is not, we're not even talking, don't text them. Right. Uh, don't, Relationship. Don't, don't a, f- fascia book, you know, message them, but like literally call somebody, have a human interaction. Human interaction, connection is important because here's the thing, if, if I choose to not call someone, then I'm actually robbing that person that I should be calling of an opportunity to be giving to me. And so I'm blocking spiritual growth all around. That's like some spiritual ninjutsu. It's like, what's the analogy you always use about moving when you're moving, people are moving and someone didn't want to ask for help to move. Oh, you're depriving of their altruistic experience. Right. If people get to choose to go help people. And I think that it's important. The opposite of addiction is connection. So pick up your phone, call someone, talk to someone today. Especially this holiday season. Everybody have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And if you or your loved one needs uh, help with substance use disorder, please give us a call at 844-263-4673. Thank you.